Welcome to Stories That Stick, a podcast series about the stories that shape us. I see a red Rolls Royce and Frank Bruno comes out. And here's me, you know. Hey, Frank, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, guys, it's Ade here, your host for Stories That Stick. We're back. Now, in today's episode, we have Andy Iam, a product leader and business builder. Andy serves on the boards of YSYS, Flipside and Mixtape Madness. So we're grateful to have him in the studio where he shares some of the stories that made an impact on him. If you'd like to know more about Andy, please visit his website, andyim, which is spelled A-Y-I-M dot com. Now, before we begin, we have two favours to ask. First one is if you do like this episode, please share it. Please review it. Please rate it wherever you listen to the podcast. Second is do follow us, Black Ticulate, across all social medias and put yourself forward to share the stories that made an impact on you or recommend someone you might know who might have a great story to tell. Now, most of you might know, but if you're brand new, we always start our conversations talking about death because we believe it helps inform how we live. So if this subject is triggering then please do skip approximately one minute after this intro. That being said, as always, you guys are the best. Thanks for sticking with us and we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Welcome to Stories That Stick. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Now, I know you are a fan, as you said, so you pretty much know how we often start. Yeah. We talk about death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, talk to me. How do you feel about death? I feel like I've got an interesting relationship with death because my dad died when I was growing up. Okay. So I experienced death in the family. Uh, One of my close uncles, my mum's brother, died when I was growing up. And going through those experiences, I started asking questions around, like, why? You know, like, why does death occur? Why does this happen? And I think it correlated at a time where my mum was really kind of pushing the Bible towards me. I think in reading the Bible, what I realized, which was quite beautiful in the story, was that Jesus Christ was depicted as this ultimate role model. And in his death, brought new life. And what that made me realize is that we can all leave a legacy. And I think when I reverse engineer death and the impacts I want to have, it's definitely around democratizing access to the opportunities, knowledge and capital that's available in this world of tech. So let's actually start from the beginning, from zero to ten. First chapter? Wow, first chapter. Right, let's go. First chapter, Andy. Zero to ten. Who was Andy? Where were you growing up? You know. So I'm a I'm a British born Ghanaian okay. and I grew up very proud knowing that I'm kind of the product of Ghanaian culture, but also British black culture. And what does that even mean? So Ghanaian culture, let me give you an, a, a, an example. So I'm third generation Kojo Adroayim, which means that myself, my father and my grandfather were all born on a Monday. Okay. And I always felt like there was meaning to that. And when I look back at their stories, my granddad used to work in logistics, driving lorries up and down Ghana. My dad was a traveler also. He hustled his way and started working in Nigeria before hustling his way to London and then building a life for us here. 
And then myself, I've traveled to over 60 countries for work and leisure. And I know that 100% travel unlocked who I am today right. and unlocked a perspective that I have on how I view kind of like the world. And if not for that traveling experience, I wouldn't be where I am today. If you didn't travel, obviously you wouldn't be the man you are today. Mm. But you think traveling was in your blood. Absolutely. And the men specifically within the family. Because that's where I've seen the trait. Right. That's where I've seen the trait. And I've seen how it's unlocked like opportunities for our next generation. If my dad didn't travel, like I wouldn't have this life that I'm afforded here in London. If I didn't travel, my daughter, who's two today as of this recording, wouldn't right. have the life that she's experiencing right now, which is full of privileges that I didn't have, but my life was full of privileges that my dad didn't have. So part of my job here is each one teach one. How can I use my privilege to address the inequalities of the next generation around me? Okay. What is interesting about you? Listeners. This is meant to be zero no, to no, ten, by the way, so that's, I need to come back to that's it. That's what I was literally going to touch upon. I often do this and I tend to ask my guests to, you know, provide a prompt on stories that have stuck with them. You wrote something, a story of an orphan child. What is that? So, so I want to actually change my story. Sure. So at first, this is going to sound really funny. At okay. first, I wanted to tell the story of an orphan child and walk through the story of my father. Okay. Okay. And then I said, actually, I want to tell a story about Odysseus and the polymath, the, the Cyclops. And this is a famous Greek mythological story of Odysseus moving back from Troy. I don't even mind you telling both, but I want to ask, why does it matter which one you tell? Because this morning, I thought to myself, actually, the story that I want to tell is different. And I want to tell that different story. But they both had an impact on your life. They shaped who you are. 100% the orphan child story. Did this a story shapes me in a way, but this, this first story shapes me in a way. Let me get to the story and sure, then, and then sure. we can decide if we're going to tell another story. <laughs> I'm messing up his podcast. Oh, not at all. I mean, this is your seat. He invited me on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the story I actually wanted to tell was um, it's a story that I got from uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it was during a phase of my life in my early 20s when I first started falling in love with reading books. So it was the first time I was able to read books end to end. And it was like personal development books. So it was Think and Grow Rich, Richest Man in Babylon. And in this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And there's a story near the start of the book. It's about a dad that gets on a train with his kids. And the kids are going flip mode. The dad's sitting down. The kids are running up and down the carriage, stepping on people's toes, making a lot of noise, waving their hands in people's faces. And a German man down the carriage looks to the left and looks at the man bewildered and angry and looking frustrated with his brows but the man doesn't even respond he doesn't even flinch and then the woman opposite him waves her hands like what's going on why are you allowing your kids to do this and then finally a man sitting next to him just nudges him and says can you please speak to your kids and in that moment the man says sorry we just came back from the hospital and we found out that their mum's passed away And that story just reminded me about the power of perspective. And it's just so powerful how in one moment, your emotion can totally switch up when you hear that context, right? It's not his fault. Look at what he's just gone through. Look at what the kids have just gone through. We feel sorry for him now. Mm. And I feel like when I started traveling, I went backpacking when I was um, 20. 
And I went to South America for three months and I remember friends telling me that it's not the black thing to do. But that experience opened up my mind and just gave me a different perspective, especially on what poverty is and relativity. Because growing up in Tottenham, I felt like I was growing up relatively poor in the ghetto. I had it hard. But then I visit Flavelas in Brazil and then I visit this, the townships in Soweto and I come back with a different perspective and understanding of the real privilege that I have growing up here in London. I hear that. And that story does bang. That's why I want to tell that story, bro. But you know, you've got time. What was the one that made an impact at the age of zero to ten? Uh, definitely the story of my dad because my dad used to tell us stories about how he grew up in Ghana. This is you and your brothers. You're my, sitting My brothers around. and I sitting around in the living room probably around Lego rather than a fireplace. Um, and even in the car journeys, right, because my dad was a minicab driver for the better part of 15 years, started off in a taxi cab rank in Finchley before becoming one of the black first black drivers at Addison Lee. <laughs> but yeah, so growing up, he used to tell us stories about how when he grew up, he had it a lot harder, but he would make it very vivid, these stories. So the fact that he was an orphan child was deep stoked into our heads because his dad passed away when he was only two years old and his mom literally couldn't afford to look after him. So he had to go and stay with his uncle and basically work the farm. And then he had to walk two miles to school, two miles home. Like he was showing me literally like bites and scars on his legs from like cutting the grass with what he calls catalas, you know, and the machetes. But I know that my dad has been laborious from when he was, a, from when he was born, you know. So, and, he, and I saw it in the house because at first, before he was a minicab driver, he used to work in, in McD's. And I used to think, oh, yes, my dad's coming home with toys. Grew up and figure out it was actually from the Happy Meals, right? But the little things like that make you grateful when you're growing up because, it, again, is relativity. Out of interest, your dad does sound amazing, but how, how did he get here? My dad basically wrote a letter to a farmer in England and said that he was a pineapple farmer and he had these official letters, he had, these, he had all his documentation to say that I grow pineapples in Ghana. He gets to the UK via that letter. He gets to the UK and he gives born to this whole new life, right? And I remember there's a silver briefcase that used to be in his room and in the briefcase, I'll literally see the letter that he sent about this pineapple farm. I'll then see a video on growing goats and how to, how to look after goats and then start seeing all these farming documentation. And I know a part of my dad genuinely was interested in farming, but it's sad that he never got to pursue that as a dream because actually family took over and he thought, you know what, I need to provide for my family and do what I can to provide. But it was an entrepreneurial nature in my dad that I wish I could have seen him manifest and that's why I guess him passing away as I was growing up was quite sad because a part of him was like, he didn't get to actually live his dreams. And it, it, it 100% straight away reminded my brothers and I that, okay, we need to enable my mom to live her dreams now. Right. You know, and then we helped her buy some land, build a house, build a nursery in Ghana. And she'd been running that for the last six years. Amazing. Mm. Amazing. And I guess the story of the orphan taught you, what the lessons he was It's the work to. ethic, you know. Okay. I took the work ethic from it from like, I have no excuse. To think the progress he's made in life, to ultimately grow up as an orphan, hustle his way to the UK, to afford us the opportunity to be born here, 
And the big difference is like when you're born in Ghana, you have like high potential but low access to opportunity. When you're born in London, but no choice of your own, you have high potential and high access to opportunity. And sometimes we forget that, which is why I spoke about relativity earlier on. And yeah, that orphan story of my dad growing up just reminded me about his work ethic, but also the privilege of being born in London. Like, you have no excuse. I've given you such a platform to hustle and grind and make something happen. Well, let's actually go into your second decade from 11 to 20, right? Second chapter. Sure. Can I continue with my father? A hundred percent. Eleven to twenty. Eleven to twenty. What was going on around the fun memories, etc. I guess growing up in Tottenham and playing with a lot of the local kids, especially through football, you form relationships. Were you and any good? Just out of interest. Sorry. Were you any good at football? I was dope at football, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could. Every gone... kid says, says no, that. No, 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 no. I was playing like semi-professional. I was playing at like county level. Oh, really? Yeah. A lot of the people that I played with turned into like professional footballers. One, my friend Moss, he's out in the US. Stephen was professional for a bit. Played out in Germany and Malta. Amazing. So. I was in the right circle I was doing alright but I hated playing in the cold what position? Uh, right back originally and then with age went into centre midfield <laughs> but yeah sorry became my retirement home <laughs> <laughs> I derailed you a little bit sorry my bad you were saying so you know growing up in top you're playing football or whatnot. yeah yeah my dad played a big part in that journey he would always take me to trainings regardless how cold or regardless how busy he is he'll take me to football training So you form a lot of relationships, right? So Mm. going into secondary school, I had two advantages over a lot of people. One, I had an elder brother in the school, so he can't touch me. Secondly, I knew a lot of people. So people felt like Andy was from Tottenham and he knows Mandem. So again, you can't touch me. So going into secondary school was quite an enjoyable adventure. When I was 14, again, like touching on relationships, my dad as a minicab driver was back in the day in the times where minicab drivers fostered relationships with their local people that they were driving. And he introduced me to one of his clients called um, Mr. Ray Goodchild. Oh, Mr. Goodchild. So Mr. Goodchild lived in Finchley and he was an architect. I remember the first day of that work experience, I catched a bus from Tottenham to Finchley. Fam, this is far, fam. Okay. And I get off the bus and I walk through the petrol station to the guy's yard and I see a red Rolls Royce and Frank Bruno comes out. I'm like, oh, lad, where am I? Barcelona. <laughs> I'm like, this is a totally different world already. Day one and I'm getting welcomed by Frank Bruno. And here's me, you know. Hey, Frank, you all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know him. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Bruno, excuse <laughs> you. So, yeah, and, and that experience was amazing two weeks because, again, this guy was like middle class and white. But he drove like a cold Ford Escort that had like no heater and the wealth wasn't coming through. It just created this image in my head of actually you can have wealth and be humble. Because this guy was clearly doing all right. He would take me to client's house for like this Chinese millionaire where he's designing the pool and the five bedrooms. And I'm seeing that and experiencing that and just walking around with him. But he lived such a humble lifestyle and I thought that was gracious. That's how I want to live. That gave me a new bar for what aspirations look like. And what I like is that he wasn't black. Sometimes people think, like, if you can't see it, you you can't believe it. I've got inspiration from people in life, regardless of what background they are. It's important for you to have relative role models that look like you, but it doesn't mean that it's exclusive and you can't get inspiration from others. And he was a great example of that in my life. Did you tell your dad that you wanted to be an architect? I I just told my dad I want to get good work experience. 
and he went into his black book and hooked me up with Ray Goodchild, the architect, hooked up my elder brother with a lawyer, a black Nigerian lawyer out in like Chelsea and Kensington. I got a short straw, didn't I? <laughs> but um, yeah, no, my dad was just really gracious with hooking us up with experiences that would expand our mind. And around the same age, I remember he paid for a helicopter lesson for my older brother. And I know that it cost him an arm and a leg for him to do that. And he took myself and my younger brother along with me just to see my brother experience flying a helicopter. And again, opened up my mind. That experience of just seeing that lifestyle and him doing that for us was like, yeah, you did that to teach us a lesson. And I took that lesson. As in, there is no limit? Just no limit. Damn, your dad sounds amazing. But you haven't spoken about your mum. What was the relationship like? So, so looking back now, there's a lot of things I'm so grateful about my mum that I, I wasn't as grateful when I was going through it growing up. Is it because you now have a daughter and the emotional labour that they do that's not visible really until Absolutely. it's our time? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so two of the things that my mum did that had a profound impact on my life and compounded as I've gone on with my life is one, she was always positively reinforcing me. Well done. You're working hard. You're trying. I love you. Like these things that you just, I just fob off like, oh, whatever, mum. What? Actually, they made an impact. Yeah, and I remembered them. And the second thing is that she put into me kind of like this seed of morality and what it means to be moral. So I felt guilty if I'd be around certain friends and they're doing something like beating someone up or robbing someone. Or, and I felt like I didn't want to not only partake in that activity, but I don't even want to be around that activity. And that was the start of me kind of changing my environment by actually changing who I surround myself with and who my friends are. How was that transition out? It wasn't a major shift. Remember I said I grew up knowing a lot of people in ends. And in, so I kind of could pick from the bunch. So instead of hanging around with the 20, there was this seven solid that I could now hang around. A dude called Jason, Henry, Maz, Moose, SB, Shopee. I can remember them because all of these are directionally, I could see we're heading in the right direction. You know, some of them were studious. Some of them who weren't studious were working hard and diligently. They were staying out of trouble. We were having dope conversations. We could still play FIFA. We were still going to Wood Green and West End to Chirps to Galdem. We were still having fun as kids, but keeping it legit and legal. And even though we might flirt with danger sometimes, we knew what was right and wrong. And that circle of friends was like iron sharpens iron. Until today, like I still am friends with all of them to different degrees, but they all directionally have carried on in the same direction, which is powerful. What was the direction? Since we're now going to go into your third chapter, but what was the direction you were thinking at the time? Because clearly in secondary school, starting to think about career, going in towards university. So... Mm. What were you thinking? I think I was thinking about how can I monetize on the knowledge and opportunity I have from being in London. What does that mean? It meant like I'm born in London by no fault of myself and I'm in this, this city which has amazing access to education and amazing access to opportunity. And I realized in my 20s when I was in university... Right, this is when you're in your 20s. In my 20s. Not when you're teens, like finishing college kind of thing. No, okay, no, no, gotcha. definitely, definitely. So in college, I studied humanitarian subjects. Right. When I studied those subjects, looking back, I was really studying the history of humans and our relationship with each other. So sociology and history and theology cover that in different ways. So going into uni, I really want to study philosophy. Right. But my dad said, you have to be one of four careers, my friend. Doctor, lawyer, Accountant or engineer. Of course. Mm -hmm. So then I chose the accounting path. And 
even in studying accounting, in the back of my mind, I started to realize that relationships can open doors for me. My dad, through relationships, got me that work experience when I was 14. I had relationships with people in the ends that kept me out of trouble in school. And now I was going to foster relationships that was going to get me into a good workplace. You have written, and I don't know if this is a story worth telling, but Success University. Yes. Oh, yes. And this so, is during your second decade, right? Teenage. To begin, yeah, 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 yeah. So this, this is like maybe like 18, 19. I had a friend in ENDS and his older brother was like well-connected in ENDS and he invited me down to a business seminar in Tottenham. And we get into this room in Bruce Grove. I remember it vividly at a place called the Regency. And there's this guy with a flip chart talking about this business opportunity called Success University founded by a guy called Matt Morris. I didn't know all of this at the time. And it was what we call a multi-level marketing scheme. Or if we tell it how it is, a pyramid scheme. Okay. So I pay 80 pounds and I get I get access to all this content, which is all around personal development. And then I get paid a fraction of 80 pounds for everyone that I get to sign up under me. Didn't realize how influential I was in Tottenham at the time. 20 people from ends from the roads signed up under me. Okay. Quickly realized that it was a pyramid scheme and it's wrong and it's rotten. How do you sleep at night? <laughs> Listen, I, I realized it was rotten and I canceled the whole thing and I said, look, you man them, like, let's stop it. But then I was left with all of this content. So I started reading and listening to it, like 12 Pillars of Success by Jim Rohn. Who's this Brian Tracy guy? Who's this Tony Robbins guy? Like, and, and Les Brown. And then as I'm consuming this content and I'm at like 19 these times, I'm just like, what? People are really thinking like this and really winning in this world, doing these things. And then that's what really just opened up my mind again to say, yeah, I'm going to go in on this world because I've just got access to the secrets. A lot of the stories you are telling and a lot of your journey so far, it's almost a given as to who you are and how you're sitting in front of us today. Final chapter. You're now officially in Brunel and you are hoping career-wise to do what, you know, once you graduate. So, okay, so I did this placement course where I took a year outside of uni to get work experience and it was in accounting, which was what I was studying, business management and accounting. And I realised that accounting is really routine and monotonous. I ended up doing the same thing again and again and again. I wasn't really feeling that. But what I did during that one year experience with my friend Dennis is attend like at least 100, 150 networking events. And I just met so many black people in the city who were doing aspirational things that were amazing. People like Dave McQueen, I saw him on stage at BP 12 years ago and thought, wow, black man standing up there making people laugh like this. I want to do that one day. Or seeing people like my mentor, Francis Maynou, who had worked at like Merrill Lynch and Ernst & Young and ended up actually being the person that helped me get into my first job. So I made all these friendships and relationships with people that worked in the city. And those are the relationships that I was looking for to get me into this world of work. So when I went to apply to become a management consultant, when I figured out that's what I wanted to do, uh, Francis Maynou introduced me to two people that worked at Ernst & Young and three people that used to work there. And through speaking to these five people, I literally learned the vernacular, the language, and learned how to articulate myself and my story. So when I went to the interview, I actually found it quite easy because I was tapping into a knowledge base and an intelligence that came quite natural to me. We can tie this into what you do now. And yeah, the very absolutely. fact that you've also written a book. Yeah, Breaking Into New Careers. 
I do have something you have written before getting into your book and exactly what you do now as a profession, becoming a tracker. Mm. What's that story? I mentioned earlier on that I did a three-month backpacking experience across South America, okay? And we did the Serengeti when we were there, so I got a touch of wildlife. And when we were in the Serengeti, we had these guides that would take us around, around the national park. We called them trackers. And these guides inspired me in two ways. One, it was a pleasure and an honor to see them honoring their craft. These are people that have spent like 15, 20 years just literally tracking animal footprints, animal dung, animals um, howling like howler monkeys, and just learning like the position of the sun, the physical environment, and how to inf interact with both the nature and the animals and wildlife. It was just beautiful seeing them in their element, taking us on this journey where we probably will not see a lion today. There was a low probability of success, but actually it's falling in love with the journey and not the outcome. And then we got to this stage where we were lucky enough to see a herd of buffaloes and a lion. And we saw this, this prey of lion create almost like a wall, a gated wall between a buffalo herd and like one single buffalo. And then two female lions were attacking that buffalo. And in that moment, it was like, I had such admiration for those trackers and the work that they did. And what it fostered in me was the importance of learning how to honor my craft. What is your craft? What do you do? So I'm a business builder and author and an investor. And everything I do surrounds just democratizing access to knowledge, opportunity, and capital. When I say I democratize access to, I've said that line 10 times, that's the problem I seek to solve. I'm here to move the needle on that one metric. But specifically, at the core of it, it's about wealth creation. And how do we move from poverty to prosperity, right? Because I've been able to do it from growing up in Tottenham to where I am today. And I've helped a few other people along that journey as well, right? And I want to help more. And the way you've done that is by providing us with a guide, a book, yeah, well, and, a mug and, speaking, and yeah, numerous things. Yeah, okay, how, yeah. how are you doing It this? started with content, though, and you're absolutely right. First, it was blogs and me sharing stories of what I'm learning in an easy-to-digest way. Then it was featured on people's podcasts, such as this wonderful podcast here. <laughs> then it was creating my own podcast, which, which came out recently, Founders Clinic. And then it was, of course, doing things like writing a book, like the ebook around breaking into new careers, which talks about the fact that if we're changing careers every two to five years, unlike our parents who stayed in careers for 20 years, how do we keep fostering a personal brand and continue to be a continuous learner as we accelerate through our careers? And how do we position ourselves in this world where Google and the first page of Google is now our CV? I can't always be in the room anymore. So I can't go for that coffee break. I can't go for that little meeting at lunch. So I need to think about scalable ways that I can serve my audience. That book is an example of that. This podcast and this content is another example of that. This year I've been trialing, playing around with IGTV, again, to share knowledge as another example of that. Right. But what does success look like? Is there like a tangible... I don't really set goals. Okay. I'm not really goal-orientated in, in the long term for my personal career, even though I am in the products that I create and the work that I work on. But rather, I kind of lead through following my curiosity and then analytically just really track my results. 
I keep a journal of like my moment, the momentum that I'm gathering and the lessons that I'm learning. So good and bad. It could be anything holistically with life, like my child's birthday or getting engaged. But it could be actually I listened to this podcast and I really love this story that they told about X. Right. And all of these things I'll track. And what it helps me do is every six to 12 months, I'll look back and I'll connect the dots and see what patterns there are. Because what that helps me to do is double down and do more of what I love and reduce and eliminate where possible the things that I don't. And now I've got this detailed, almost like diary. You know, there's about 17,000 words in this year's one, 97 pages in a Google Doc, right? And actually, it could form a beautiful story for my great-great-grandkids to learn the inner workings of the mind of their great-great-grandfather, Andy. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let's close out that. Since it is stories that stick, and often the case we are thinking about books that we read, usually, what one book would you gift people? Apart from my own book? No, it can be your own book. I don't mind that. The reason I would gift my book about breaking into new careers is because I genuinely believe that over the next 10 to 20 years, we're moving into a different shift of how we work. So I just feel like we need to prepare for this world of tomorrow, and this is one way we can start preparing for that. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure. And guys, do stick around for another episode of Stories That Stick. See you later. Bye. Today's episode was produced by Ade Bambala. Sound designed by Chris Arise. And if you'd like to be featured on Stories That Stick, then please do get in touch.